Chris Kringle, he works at Macy's and he's sending all their customers to Gimbal's. And, you know, Gimbal's is like, what is this guy doing? And so then they start doing the opposite. And you guys are just laughing silently. I you love know? this. Keep going. Keep, this. going. Keep going. Keep going. Hello, this is The Fizzle Show. I am Chase Reeves, and we'll soon be joined by Corbett Barr and Caleb Wojcik. We're like the, uh, the brotherhood without banners of online business. An insider behind-the-scenes look at how we've built and are building our online businesses. It's not so easy, nor so hard, as you might think. And hold up just a second. Record sound. Oh, that was a bad record sound. We've got to say thanks. You have made us the number one business podcast on iTunes. We've heard some great feedback from a lot of you through the ratings, through, uh, through the comments at the Think Traffic post and all this other. We're so, so pumped. You guys, thank you so much. Uh, you know, iTunes ratings, in some ways, they don't really don't mean anything. They're really enigmatic. We don't really know where the algorithm comes from or all this other stuff. But it means it really means a lot that you guys stepped up Made, made some reviews, really liked this show. Most importantly, just talking to everybody on Twitter and, and the comments and everything, just hearing what you guys actually think. We've been sitting behind closed doors recording this stuff for a while and just like, I think they're going to like it. God, I hope they like it. Oh, oh God, that was, a good, that was a good episode. I hope they like that. I, but we really don't know if you're going to like it or not. And so we're thrilled to hear you know, that you guys really do. So uh, here, let me, let me read one of these real quick uh, from Joey Kissimmee. Or Kiss Me Joey, as, as his buddies call him. Um, I listened to this during my daily walk with my son, and all I got to say is that I have to dig deeper to find my true voice. Exclamation mark. Is what I didn't, he didn't spell it out. He just put one right there. That means he's excited about it. You guys crushed this first episode, and then he puts a little smiley face, but it has winks. It has a wink in it. It's not just a, it's, not, it's a semicolon. It's not a colon, so he's winking. Joey Kiss Me is winking at us on the iTunes review. You can head into the iTunes page and see this for yourself. Um, Joey, thanks so much. Uh, we love that you think we crushed it. It means a lot, truly. So thank you to Joey. Uh, and thanks thanks to any of you who, who filled out a review. Please keep them coming. It shows iTunes that you want to listen to us. And, and it helps us get more earnest entrepreneurs in the crew. We really love it when you guys leave us a review. It means a ton. So thanks. So today... We're going to start a three-part series where you get to know each of your hosts, us. In this episode, we get to know Corbett Barr. Ooh, pause for effect. He's founded wildly successful sites like thinktraffic.net, fizzle.co, and expertenough.com. And we dig into how a crazy trip in a kind of a critical career moment for him led to a completely altered path. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll be wondering what the heck the Santa Claus thing's all about. And you'll get some, uh, some. I think you really will get some handholds in Corbett's story that will help you navigate your own waters a bit. And we also answer two great listener questions in this episode. One that sort of uh, riles me up about design and coerces me into giving you a handful of tips uh, for your website. I'll be back after this conversation to fill in any gaps and to share how you can easily submit a question about your business so we can answer that here on the air as well. Let's get into it. 
people are very interested in you, Corbett. They want to know how you got to where you where you are. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to uh, open up the kimono a little bit, go a little bit back in time, show them that it wasn't magic and it wasn't just that you're like incredibly bright. You are the wise one after all. Um, and it was also it was it was a lot of just human decisions and things that you. Right? Unless uh, you're I looking think it's at, just blind luck. You're looking at me weirdly like maybe, dumb, maybe it wasn't. Just dumb luck. <laughs> it was just dumb luck. <laughs> yeah. So, let's uh let's let let's go back in time a little bit. Yeah, so um and and what does that mean like where I am now? I mean, well, you want to I know you were I know you were at Yeah, where where does that mean? What does that mean about right now? You you run a a website called Think Traffic for the last how long? Well, now we run it, but yeah. yeah. Um I think traffic is three years old, a little over three years old. And and your subscribership there is? Um, I don't know about subscribers. We don't really follow that anymore. But I know that um, between our sites, between all our sites, we have... I'll be um, honest, it's getting a little uncomfortable that I am in my underwear now. Yeah, That's I told you it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I, dear podcast listener, I was like, it was just hot. It was hot. We were walking around. We had Mexican food on. They're more uh, like bike shorts than underwear, but still, it's it is a little uncomfortable now. To be honest, they're quite flattering. <clears throat> they're I, shapely. I hadn't really. So going back noticed. to where you were, I just wanted to call attention to because yeah. it, to make it easier for you to talk. You know what I mean? Thank you. Yeah. yeah. While you stare well, and, at me. and um and you know we should. I think the uh, the theme of just laying everything out there. We should just you know it's not like we run some behemoth company that's yeah. super enviable. It's mm-hmm. it's we do a thing like you know three guys. We like each other. We um, run a small online business that allows us a lot of freedom and flexibility to do what we want yeah. and to live where we want and to travel and all that kind of stuff. And I guess we can get into some of those details. But um, you know, I've been on I've been on multiple sides of the fence. I uh, was a consultant for a long time, Fortune 500 consultant. That's kind of where my career started, and um, I worked for big, huge companies like Allstate Insurance. You know, that level, like hundred thousand yeah. person companies, and um, you know, we were uh, well-paid consultants, but at the end of the day, it felt like we were just helping some massive entity get like incrementally more efficient or something. And it didn't feel like we had any, you know, real impact. And also I didn't give a shit at the end of the day, like yeah. really what we were doing there. Like I could care less if some behemoth gets a little bit more, you know, whatever. And so I guess, you know, that was a good learning experience. Um, but, um, it, it left me, feeling unfulfilled and like I wanted to search for more. Mm-hmm. And so okay. how did you even start with consulting? Did you go to school for business or did you go to school for tech or? Yeah, I went to school for um, business. Uh, it was just a managed, like a uh, management and communications degree sort of basic Was thing. all of that, all of that consulting here in San Francisco or you were no. in Seattle at first, right? No, I was in Portland when I joined that company. Oh, okay. That was in the year 2000, back when I was, I guess I was like seven years old then or something. Yeah, seven, you're, you're this many. Yeah, I was this many. <laughs> I hold up both <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, I was in Portland at the time. So, but no, they sent me all over the country. I mean, I worked in um, Chicago and Houston and um, San Francisco and Seattle and Portland and different places. So you got to this point in that where you're like, I don't really give a shit about this. Yeah, well, I always kind of felt like that, but there were a lot of benefits, you know, so this is the kind of job where your parents are like, yeah, wow, nice job, son, you know, yeah. you got a good job, and your friends yeah. are like, you know, wow, he's successful, like, you mm-hmm. know, in, in air quotes or whatever, whatever that means, the yeah. typical life, life, you know, default path, whatever that is. Yep. Um, so I, you know, had a nice car, bought a condo, you know, had a good job, all that kind of stuff. 
but just, you know, um, the money, I guess, has to sustain you at that point because the work yeah. that you're doing isn't that interesting. So like the money and the status and all that stuff and the, the carrot that they dangle in front of you that one day you might be a partner in the firm and like you're supposed to have this magic, you know, life. But then you look at the partners and you realize they work harder than you do. They don't just travel to one city. They go yeah. to two or three in a week and they're gone six days from their family. Yeah. And sure, they make, you know, a, a metric butt ton of money, I guess. But yeah. um, it's... Uh, I like it that just, you made that translation for our Canadian listeners. Yeah. Well, it's, I'm always thinking about the... <laughs> met is a metric butt ton. Kid, yeah. Don't get me grandstanding about how we should be on the metric system. It's just... Because <laughs> the thing... It, so for all of our American listeners, that would be an imperial butt ton. But... Uh, yeah. Well, a cubic what? yard. A cu- <laughs> <laughs> and for our Hebrew listeners, it's four cubits of butt <laughs> There you go. So, okay. So... Uh, let's let's fast forward here a little. Yeah. Bit. Okay. We're gonna we're gonna hop over something. Okay. We're gonna hop over your startup that you started here with a with a partner. Okay. Um, you learned a lot through that. Yeah. Okay. You did a you did a sexy you know venture backed startup here for how many years? Three years. Three years. Over a million uh, vi- uh users. Registered users. Over yeah. a million registered we, users. We raised uh, three million dollars in venture capital for that. Okay. One. And you're with a guy that, that, for better or for worse, you you guys had to part ways at some point, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, it was like we we spent three years building this company and didn't have revenue. We were sort of going for the home run style, you yeah. know. And now you see, like, well, Tumblr was acquired for a billion dollars, and they don't have any revenue. Yeah. Um. But uh, you know, when the when the financial world collapsed in two thousand eight, yeah. Basically, um, it was just a really shitty time for me. So I spent three years building this thing, and the majority of that time, or not majority, but a big chunk of that time, I didn't earn a dime because we were you know building a prototype, shopping around to venture capitalists. Yeah. So eventually, we raised VC. We raised three million dollars. I had a co-founder. We built an office. We actually built an office. You know, like in an office building, had it built out for us. Uh-huh. Um, had eight or 10 employees and um, a board of advisors, board of directors, all this kind of stuff, angel investors. And at the end of the day, I ended up feeling like I had less control over um, my life than I did when I was a consultant, which yeah. was crazy because I was, you know, working for myself, self-employed. And, um, and also, you know, I just realized I had jumped into a business that I didn't care about that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, my co-founder- which, It was an email type stuff, It was right? an email prioritization yeah. sort of startup. And my um, co-founder, you know, is sort of his pet project, his baby. Yeah. And we ended up, uh, towards the end, just really disagreeing on the future of the company. So when we did, couldn't raise enough to keep the entire team together, and it was really unfavorable terms, um, I decided to leave. Yeah. And um, it was a really hard decision, and it was kind of a dark time. I just, I didn't know what to do next. And, um, I was frankly really burned out from working so hard for a few years. Yeah. So I, I knew that I needed a break and that I wasn't ready to jump into something. So that's when, um, in early 2009, my wife and I decided to take a sabbatical, um, something that we had never really had. Well, hold on, hold on. Cause this was just heading into like a really, it was just turning into like the perfect, interesting story. Um, you know, it was really bleak and dark. It was a very hard time. Yeah. You know, and like if I was, if this was a TV show, I'd be like, stay tuned to see what happens next. And then like, there'd be like a, a clip of you, of your, you and your wife, like riding topless, like on a, in a Corvette uh, convertible <laughs> through Mexico. Yeah. Like, like how did he turn it all around? And, the, and it, after the break. And so. Do you just want to, let's just talk about something else for a while. <laughs> and leave, leave them hanging. No, but the point being like, 
then you made it just just a sabbatical. It's like a sabbatical is like what what a what a person in a tweed vest does for like a well, free no, okay, time. Well, no, okay. So here's the thing. Like we, you know, I had always romanticized about taking time off, traveling the world, and um, and also about Mexico. Frankly, it's like yeah. our closest neighbor, and we didn't we know nothing about it. And it's this place that seems like people can go to disappear, mm-hmm. right? So we never had the guts to do that to take time off. You know, like you, you mentioned, you, and we'll get into this tomorrow, but you talk about, you know, you traveled a lot for a good chunk of your early adulthood, and I never did that, yeah. right? I, I, I worked full-time through college, spent five years in college, and just never took a, a more than a week off yeah. um, for a solid 15 years or so. And you wanted, and so when, it, when, when you know, you, you're stepping away from this company, it's such, it's such a bummer. You, have, you had something in, in the bank, probably not a whole lot, but enough to go like, hey, let's go take some time off. And you decided with the wife to, let's not call it a sabbatical. You went on a, a radical, extreme, uh, life-altering vacation yeah. that put all of the perspective where it needed to be. Well, and I didn't know that was going to happen. I mean, it was just kind of out of necessity, like yeah. out of necessity that I had to take time off. It was sort of out of necessity that we went to Mexico where our dollar would stretch further. Yeah. Um, and I had never had the guts to do that, never had the right frame of mind to do it. And now I kind of had to. Like, Ooh, let's there was talk no about choice. the guts. Let's talk about the guts that it took. Because I think a lot of, a lot of people have that dream. Shoot, dude. I know a lot of... Shoot, dude? What am I? <laughs> stuff Christians say. Um, uh, I know a lot of baby boomers who never did that and still dream about doing it. You know what I mean? Like, but it, it does take a lot of guts to, to say... I want this enough to try it out. Sure, there, you, you, there's, there's dangers in Mexico, right? There's dangers anywhere you go traveling. But then you got to put your life on hold, quote unquote. Or like, what are the things, the excuses that we make and the things that we say to each other, right? So what, what was it, what made it easier or possible for you to overcome those obstacles? Well, you know, they say like um, something about men and this, maybe it's not just about men, but there's just something about we really have to know our purpose in life, yeah. you know, in order to feel comfortable in our own skin. Like we have to feel like we're doing work that matters in some way. Mm-hmm. And I was one of those guys where if I was like between jobs or whatever, I was just miserable. Like yeah. I felt like if I didn't have a purpose, I, I couldn't live my life. So there was never a time in my life where I could take six months off and feel okay about it. But after the startup, I felt like I got so close, you know, to, to being successful with that startup I could see exactly what happened and what went wrong and how I was going to do it again. Yeah. So I knew that there was that to go back to. And I also knew that I had done the startup and sort of leapt without a safety net and everything worked out. Mm. So now that I was like exhausted, defeated, emotionally broken and needed time off, it wasn't such a leap now. It was yeah. like a necessity. And I knew that, you know what, I can go back and do that thing that I just did again. And honestly, that's what I thought I was going to do. I thought I'd go to Mexico, relax for a while swim, you know, chill, hang out, and then start percolating ideas for my next startup. And I thought my next startup would be very much like my first one, where I'd build a prototype, shop it around, whatever. But this time, maybe I would have more control over it. Maybe I'd work with somebody better. Maybe um, I'd like the idea more. I didn't know exactly what was missing to make it really great. But, you know, I I figured I would find that. So for you, what I hear is, is, uh, like, one of the things that I try to learn myself in is looking at things as a as a as an adventure instead of like a a a requirement like we have to get to like with the podcast we have to get to this thing or do this that or the other whereas that where where if you set those kinds of goals 
you're always trying to get to a thing, which can be good. But if you look at, you know, traveling to Mexico is like, hey, this is going to be an adventure with my bride. Like, we're going to yeah. make this count uh, and, just, and enjoy Kinda it. Kind of just rolled the dice to say, yeah. I don't know what's going to happen, but let's just do it and see what so happens. So looking at it that way, yeah. that, that, that was a natural way of looking at it. For yeah. yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Okay, so let's talk. Okay, so now let's, let's you, went, you went and traveled around. Long story short, you traveled around Mexico. And you started to get some perspective on, you, like you just said, you thought you'd just you know, spend a little time down there, come back, land in another startup, maybe start your own, do something. You knew had some connections and some people's now. You knew what it's like to do a business. Yeah. And what did you end up doing? Well, okay, so we, we go to Mexico, and um, you know, first of all, the trip was supposed to be around six months or so, but it was kind of open and ended up, and it ended up being about eight months or so. That's a long time. Yeah, and it was a road trip. So we drove all of Mexico and we had been to Mexico twice, but only to like Cabo and Puerto Vallarta and like yeah. in the tourist areas. Mm-hmm. So this time we drove and I remember Jesse and I, my wife and I, when we were at the gas station in Arizona, like a mile from the border about to cross, we had this moment of panic. Yeah. Like we sat there in the car. Like I remember like almost shaking, thinking like, holy shit, we're about to drive into this other country. We've never like, we don't know what's going to happen on the other side of the border. And yeah. there's all these scary stories about Mexico. Yeah, yeah. And we really sat there for a minute, like, oh my God, we're about to do this. It was like jumping yeah. off a cliff, you know? <laughs> and then it was fine. You know, it was fine. That's amazing. So anyway, we go to Mexico and right off the bat, we're in Puerto Vallarta and um, we, we which is not just over the border. I mean, that's no, no, that's, no. So we, you know, we went through. We we spent you know a couple of weeks driving down. We yeah. basically we just hopped from town to town and stayed in different places. So we end up down in PV for a few days, and uh, we meet some really interesting people. And this is just a couple of weeks in the trip. And like, I meet this guy who's a uh, software tester, like a Q and A guy. Oh yeah, and um, not a friend of mine. I didn't know him. And, um, you know, he's a software tester and he's like, oh, we're just in PV because I can work from anywhere. Yeah. And I'm like, what? What do you mean? You can work from anywhere. Like th- that just didn't occur to me. You know what I mean? So, so we meet this guy and then, you know, we keep, we keep traveling and I keep meeting more and more people who just sort of took a dramatically different turn in life and decided that they're going to spend time traveling every year or working while they're traveling. Or some people just took time off. And lived in a foreign country every year. And they weren't rich. They weren't retired. But they somehow figured out a way to live in another country for months at a time. Sometimes, you know, every year. And this was like, it just, it hit me over the face. Because I, I thought that either you climbed the corporate ladder and you tried to retire early in your 50s or something. And then you traveled. Or you were an entrepreneur and you tried yeah. to make millions so that you could do what you wanted to do early. Mm-hmm. And I, it just didn't dawn on me that, like, you didn't have to you could bend your career to work around your life instead of trying to get rich or retire before you could live your life. Yeah. You know? So I started blogging basically on a whim about um, two months into this trip for a few reasons. One, just to kind of tell these stories of these people that we were meeting because uh-huh. they were so interesting to me. Um, and you've met some of these people now, yep. Chase, that, you know, mm-hmm. that we, that we know um, people that are either young or some are a little bit older, but, they all have something in common, which is they just decided to start living their life now and stop waiting for everything to line up with their career or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I started blogging for that reason. I also started blogging because I wanted to ask myself questions out loud about career and life and how the two integrate and what I really wanted from my life. Yeah. Because, how old were you at this time? Uh, so this was in um, early 2009. So I guess I was 32. Okay. So, so you're already, I mean, you're, you're asking some pretty 
serious like existential kind of questions for a 32 year old well and the reason was you know like i said so i I graduated high school i started working full-time the summer after high school and never looked back so i you know i spent like 14 years or so basically jumping from one career opportunity to the next keeping my head down and never thinking about who i was or what i wanted i just accepted the societal goals that are imposed on everyone which is get a good job make a lot of money you know, be successful by societal standards. Yeah. I I just absorbed those goals as my own because I didn't have my own game plan to begin with. Mm-hmm. So I just accepted the default, and it turned out that the default wasn't exactly right for me. Yeah. I never really felt settled. I never really cared about what I was doing. So on this trip, I wanted to a- start asking myself those questions, like why do we? Why does everyone live the same kind of life, and why are these other people living this alternative that? I've never heard of and that most people have never heard of. Yeah. You know, you you think like most of the time, like, and in fact, today, now when we meet people and we tell them that we live in Mexico every winter or whatever, and they say, oh, it must be nice. I wish I could do that. Yeah. Well, you can do that. There's nothing holding you back. You could leave right now and move to Mexico. Everything that you think is holding you back is in your mind, whether it be your kids or yeah. your job or your mortgage or whatever. All of those obstacles can be overcome and you can live the life, whatever you want to do. Yeah. It's just a matter of like giving some things up and also going through some struggle. It's a matter of how bad do you want it? Exactly. That's what I see you guys doing is, is saying, we want this. We're going to do it. We drove all the way to Arizona and you're having that oh shit moment. You know what I mean? And then you push through and you land on the other side. Not only, are you at, not only, not only do you find your place at the border in Arizona, but then you find yourself with enough chutzpah and guts to like push through it and go to the other side, and you have not been the same ever since. No, you know what I mean. And because I mean, you live there continually for the past several years, for several months out of the year. Yeah, yeah. So we've done five winters now. We've returned for the past you know five years in the winter, and we spend about three months down there. And then we also travel elsewhere. I'm I'm about to go to Italy for a little while, um, but you know this trip radically changed my perspective on life and and i really encourage people to try to get away from the normal influences because i think it's really easy to forget who you are underneath yeah. it all and just to start living someone else's life there's so much water in the in the flow of the river that it's like to try to stand out from the rest of the flow and say like why are we going this way yeah you're a droplet of water <laughs> in, in society this just like, got really poetic yeah but uh <laughs> but um but I, I think your story stands so clearly, you know, in as a as a picture of that, you know, in a really good way. Because not only not only did you, yeah, it took guts and it was difficult, and you had to do what you needed to do to get down there, right? But then once you're there, you actually had different thoughts, you had different questions. These questions that were probably under the surface for the last ten years started to bubble up to. To start to bubble up to visible levels, yeah. and you started asking them. That's what made you prompted you to start the blog. Yeah. Ask these questions out loud, which eventually and very very naturally turned into Think Traffic, where you now have me as a business partner, and we have Caleb as an employee, and we're building a thing that we're. I mean, we've built the fizzle, which we're like investing the next 10, 20 years of our lives in as a as an educational platform for entrepreneurs, and all that you know, all of this stuff where we're, uh, you've built an actual business. Based off of some existential crisis you had whilst traveling around and yeah. talking to a software engineer. Yeah, and this is where this is where this is it, it's um, it's easy to dismiss the blogger who starts out and wants to start a blog about like 
you know, live yeah. a life of passion, travel the world, change yeah. your life, that kind of stuff, because because there's so many of them. And and maybe maybe the time has passed where that was easy to kind of get noticed in that space. Mm. I'm not sure exactly. Oh, I'd say, but I, I'll go ahead and answer that and say, yes, the time has passed but for it to be easy. For it to be easy, exactly. But um, I can tell you that that's exactly how I started. Yeah. I started writing about what is the the true good life. Yeah, and 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 okay. So, what were your goals starting that blog? I mean, they were not to grow a big subscriber no, and make a business. I didn't anything. have a goal. You were writing to figure out what you meant when you said my life. Yeah. So partly it was like you know, blogging was still relatively new, and I didn't really know it that well. Yeah. But I had um, I had people in my previous startup life that were telling me how important blogging was and I didn't really get it. So partly I just wanted to do that for fun on the trip. I also really wanted to ask myself these existential questions. I wanted to think about what I was going to do next, share these stories. And pretty quickly, I just really got into it. I hadn't really written much since college or before. Mm -hmm. And um, I had been in journalism in high school. I was the editor of the school newspaper. And... um, just really reconnected with something in me that I, I liked writing. I yeah. liked expressing my thoughts. People started responding to it. And um, pretty quickly, I got kind of addicted to the just the art of blogging, like figuring it out, yeah. trying to get people to subscribe and pay attention, and um, started connecting with other bloggers. There's a lot of people that I met really early on who just reached out and said, hey, man, like, you know, I like your stuff, whatever. People like Adam Baker. Like, uh-huh. he and I started basically in the same of, month. Of, of Man versus Debt. Yeah. Dot um, com. Adam and I met um, really early on because we basically started blogging in the same month. So I made a lot of early connections and um, basically got addicted to just trying to grow the blog. And in the first um, year of blogging, it you know it really changed from this is just a thing I started on a whim to mm-hmm. something that I really wanted to grow and see where it went. Yeah. Um, and I ended up having like half a million people stop by the site in the first year. Wow. Um, so that was great. But um, now the thing in me of needing a purpose and needing to support myself and to earn a well, buck. Well, hold on. When someone, hold on, hold on, hold on. Remember where you yeah, are, where yeah. you're heading. I mean, you just mentioned that in the first year, a half a million pairs of eyeballs landed on the site, yeah. right? Or maybe we'll just say a million eyeballs. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a big ass number. And I don't know if I'm starting out as a blogger and I have any perspective for that. Do you know what I mean? Like, so how many per month is that? That is. I'm a that's, reader, not a math. That's like 40,000. Per month? Yeah. Right? Yep. That's a lot. Yeah, I mean, it started out with... I have a very little blog, and I get, you know, 5,000 visitors a month, which is like pretty common for people to be right around that. Yeah. Either 400 a month to 5,000, and these are just visitors. These are not, you know, qualified, quote-unquote, yeah. you know, leads or whatever, yep. but um, just people who land on there from whatever... SEO thing, right? Yeah. And so maybe maybe I'm I'm making much ado about nothing here, a mountain out of molehill. But the point still stands. That's a lot of traffic and a lot of people in that first year. Yeah. So it sounded like you were asking questions and writing about them in ways that kind of was hitting a nerve for for a people. And and I started hustling. I started reaching out to other bloggers. I started organizing projects among bloggers that were yeah. all talking about the similar sort of topic. Like so at the time this concept. So I started blogging. I had never read the four hour work week. Yeah. I didn't have this concept of lifestyle design in my head, but within, you know, the first couple of weeks of blogging, people started writing me, Oh, well you should check out Tim Ferriss Four hour work week. You should check out this, that they started pointing me to these resources. And I realized that there was sort of this groundswell happening because the economy had collapsed. A lot of people were out of work. A lot of people felt shortchanged by the fact that they thought they had a stable career 
And here, their best friends in the company were just laid off, and they don't know if they're going to have a job the next week. Yeah. And this whole idea of the American dream was just kind of just crumbling at the time around us. So there was all this interest in, um, you know, sticking up for yourself, building your own thing, and also living a life of leisure now because this this mythical retirement thing doesn't really exist anymore. Mm. Like, are you going to live on social security? And and if not, there's no pension there for you at the end of the game. Yeah. And the 401k experiment has basically failed. So, you know, there's just a whole lot of stuff that we used to take for granted that doesn't exist anymore. So in 2009, when I was blogging, there was this wave of interest in lifestyle design and related topics and location independence, which yeah. means just being able to live and work anywhere in the world. So I just dove headfirst in that and started to just try to become a leader, a leading voice in that space. Mm -hmm. And I connected with the bloggers who were talking about that sort of thing, started orchestrating different things. Like I did a survey. So my, one of my questions was, okay, we're talking about location independence. What does that mean? And how do people actually support themselves? Yeah. Like what sort of careers actually lead to being location independent? So I did this big survey. I got like 40 blogs involved mm -hmm. and had them survey their audience, get their audience to actually come to my survey to answer these questions. Like if you're location independent, how do you earn a living? Yeah. What's your life like? And then we shared the results with everyone, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I was deliberate about it, growing my blog. And you know, as a result, I had half a million people stop by or whatever. But um, towards, towards the end of that first year, I started thinking, how am I going to turn this into a business? Yeah. What sort of you know, how am I going to make this like yeah, you earn, have half a million people on your site and probably no and money. I, and I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what that? was it that you guys were running out of savings or you just kind of. Well, yeah, eventually, eventually, we, yeah. eventually we would have been standing with a little tin cup on the on the sidewalk. <laughs> um, you know, we had some runway, but I was like, I didn't know what product or service I was going to offer these people who were interested in location independence because I hadn't cracked the nut myself. So yeah. it was a chicken and the egg problem, which is what most people have when they start these blogs about go live your passion, travel yeah. the world. Well, okay, great. How, how do we do that? You're not doing that yet. So why should I listen to you, <laughs> yeah. you know, or whoever? And, and I was in that boat. So, um, long story short, you know, towards the end of that first year of blogging, I realized I need to come up with something that's very concrete that I can deliver on, that I can help people achieve that they want and sort of put all these pieces together. We have an, an episode coming up later mm -hmm. in the fizzle show about choosing a topic. Yeah. So I went through that process myself. I looked around, I saw that I had success building a blog audience, and I knew tons and tons of bloggers who struggled to get 1,000 people to their site a month, let alone 40,000. Yeah. And I knew that they were desperate to get heard and to grow an audience, and I had this success from my previous startup as well, and I knew also that you don't have to have all the answers. If you just like have a really strong interest in something and dive headfirst into it, take what you know, add to it, opinions from other people that you can pull in and see where it goes. So I chose online audience building as my topic, building traffic, essentially. And um, that's where the, the concept for Think Traffic came from. Okay, so let's switch gears. I feel like that's a good spot to sort of like... We'll do part two. Maybe do two later. Part, part two then later. We'll do because we do have that whole the, a whole longer interview with you within Fizzle, um, where you can where you can see your very your very dark and stylish jeans mm -hmm. and your very bright and green eyes, which I get to stare into every time we record this podcast. 
I fall deeper in love with you. It's just day. a love fest. <laughs> doesn't doesn't even have anything to do with the fact that I'm in my underwear. <laughs> but let's switch gears and let's answer uh, some. Let's let's take some listener questions uh, from this, from the audience. Caleb, you got some ready? Yep. So this one comes from Dave Stewart Jr., who runs TeachingTheCore.com. Let's take a listen. Hey guys, this is Dave at TeachingTheCore.com. Got a year-old blog that's been gaining traction in a public education niche. Uh, the content's getting good feedback. The USP that I learned from you guys is connecting with people, and I've got a few income streams coming into the blog that are um, nicely supplementing my teacher salary. Um, those streams are Amazon affiliate sales, one private advertising contract, and consulting gigs. It's earned about fifty-nine hundred dollars in its first year, and I think it's possible to vastly improve on that in the year to come i guess it's also relevant to note that i've been a reader of think traffic for quite a while and i'm a little different from a lot of your readers in that i actually love my seven to five job of teaching i wouldn't change it for the world and yet i do want to increase my impact professionally and my income for my family both of which the blog allows me to do so here's my burning question right now that i'll throw at you guys the blog's design is pretty amateur, although I would say that if you compare it to other teacher-run edu blogs inside of the niche, it's probably mid to upper tier in terms of design quality. But I don't want to be mid-tier. I want to set the bar for the niche. However, I don't have the income to hire a rock star designer to come in and make it happen, at least not yet. And just as a side note, I do have an intellectual crush on Chase Reeves, Everything he designs is amazing. So here's my question, and I think it will apply to other listeners. What advice do you have for blogs that are making a few thousand a year, feel like they're ready for a design overhaul, but don't have the cash to hire someone awesome? I'm looking for anything at all that you guys have to share. Thanks a lot. Rock on. Oh, that's a very sweet question. Thank you for bringing that one to our attention. <laughs> and for having a crush on you, Chase. Oh, that's cool. You know, I hear a lot from from people who think that they're not successful because of the des- des- the design of their site. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in some ways that's a little bit of a scapegoat. Um, yeah, good design helps you stand out from the crowd. It helps you feel a lot more trustworthy. But the best part about, like, we just did a big overhaul of uh, Smart Passive Income, Pat Flynn's site, mm-hmm. and, and Nerd Fitness. We just did, we did both those sites in, like, two weeks. Um, and just because they're, they're friends, and, and, and this is this is... This is what we, I, what I really love to do in some ways, but God, I'll, I'll be damned if that's not one of the hardest things to do, to walk into a site like Smart Passive Income and see how this thing's been Frankensteined together over the years, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it, he, Pat has a massive audience there, just as, as does Steve at Nerd Fitness, two massive, huge, huge audiences, you know what I mean? Um, and the sites are just Frankensteined together over time, and they don't look horrible. I mean, I always thought, Smart Passive Income had this really weird like vibe to me in the design. But if you sat around and read any like one, any one single paragraph, you'd get Pat's tone of voice and right. you'd get where his perspective's coming from and you'd be hooked. You yeah. just love the guy, right? So the, the biggest element of his design is his voice. Exactly. So, I mean, these are some massive sites that did not have big, massive, amazing designs that stands out from the crowd. You know, what 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 stood out from the crowd is their work ethic, their 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 tone, their point of view. And they're, I mean, part of me wants to say their professionalism, and other part of me wants to say the fact that they're an expert in their thing. But whatever it ends up being, you know, it, 
Steve is an expert in pull-ups. All right, does that make you listen to him about how to do a pull-up? You probably know how to do a pull-up. What you need is someone who can get you encouraged enough to do a, a pull-up. You know what I mean? Someone that makes you think about it in a way that's like, all right, I, maybe I could go try to do some of those. Yeah, but so let's, you're, um, you're leaping from Pat Flynn to Pat Flynn's new design. And here we are, you know, talking about someone who's making a handful of bucks a year. So put yourself back in the shoes of, you're not Chase Reeves. You don't know how to do design. Yeah. Like I'm thinking back to when I first started and it's like, what's WordPress and how do I get a theme up? And then you put your theme up and it looks kind of janky. Yeah. And your question is just how do you incrementally improve your design over time? Um, yeah. Okay. Until you maybe can work with a designer because Steve and Pat both um, had sites that were done by designers that they paid for yeah. prior to this even. So what I was getting at with that, and thank you for bringing me back on topic, is that first of all, I think the design as an excuse is a bit of a, a yeah. as an excuse for not quote unquote success is a bit of a scapegoat or at least not, not, not that it's not the problem, but just that like everybody, it's not the solution either. Yeah. 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 A, a lot of people think that that's a problem when it really isn't. Yeah. Um, so first of all, that second of all, uh, the, you know, I was mentioning doing the, the Pat Flynn and nerd fitness redux is because the most important part of that design, like working with Pat, I lived with his family for a week and did the site and and uh, and hey, hey kids hey hey April hi guys um, and we had we just uh, we bonded it was awesome and um, the hardest thing in the whole world was trying to figure out what's the headline mm-hmm. and what do we need to remove like what's essential what is essentially smart passive income and what's all the other stuff that Frankensteined out over yeah. the years? That is designed to me. Yeah. I think you can go, like, for instance, look at uh, 37 Signals blog. Yep. What isn't there? No, basically, everything isn't there except for the voice, the tone of view, and the copy. Um, and something that Jason Fried of 37 Signals says, uh, and I agree with him wholeheartedly, is that copy is design. Copy is mo- your text, your headline, the typography, and, and even the typography. I don't really care. Uh, I mean, I care. Uh, don't get me wrong. I care a lot, but but what the type is actually saying, what the what you've actually got in your paragraphs and your headlines and all this other stuff, this is what's important to your design. The question of whether or not you nail your audience's pain and desire is so much more central to your design than your color scheme or your responsive or not or all this other BS. That to be honest, yeah, it's good and it'll help. It'll make you look trustworthy. But don't just look like another trustworthy. You know this type of thing. You know what I mean? What makes these? What makes websites and bloggers and personalities successful is that they know who they're serving and what the pain there is. You yeah. know what I mean? Even if even if you're not the expert in it. Yeah. You can become the student of it and, and curate I, the answers. And I can attest to this. So for people, I've I've been through this design process with Chase a number of times, sort of watching and and it's tossing in a few scraps of my own contributions here and there. Um, I can attest to the fact that the thing that Chase starts with doing a design has nothing to do with pixels or colors or layout or anything like that. We sometimes spend like an inordinate amount of time. You should tell the Pat story. <laughs> we we spend Chase spends so much time just focused on the the blogger's story and the message that they're trying to communicate, really trying to get to what is the freaking headline of this whole thing. He spends so much creative energy on that that he that Chase has made himself sick numerous times because of all the mental energy expended on just <laughs> 
just sitting around in a room asking someone like, what is your site about and why does it I matter? I was so excited to hang out with Pat because I'd never had any real quality time with him. And about a year ago, Corbett and I went down there to start this process where we were just whiteboarding. We spent a day, rented a co-working space, whiteboarded out. Okay, who is Pat Flynn? What's the story here? What's the, you know, we just, I, and I just, I can't not internalize that drama you know what i mean so i'm trying yeah. to find out what the story is what the arc of this thing is what the headline is and we're just bashing our brains against the wall trying to figure it out in some ways um and you know okay we work till you know we have a like a late lunch we work till four or something and all right let's go get cleaned up and go get some food we go to some brazilian <laughs> we go to some brazilian barbecue place i got to know every single bite very well as it came up <laughs> again yeah. afterwards in the hotel room and I just got, I got super sick because I was just, I think my body was already fighting something and I was just exhausted and it was like almost a traumatic experience. So, so don't, don't necessarily take Chase's design process totally to heart, but yeah, yeah but, you don't need to get sick. But the point is, um, you know, I think like what you guys see, this is again, this is sort of related to how you can watch someone else's tactics and not understand the strategy that went into creating yeah. those tactics in the case of design really good designers spend so much time on the story and the headline and the text and the typography and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And then eventually they get to the colors and whatever, but usually the job is just to get out of the way yeah. of the message. Yeah. And I'll, so I'll give you a handful of very tangible tips real yeah. quick. Okay. First of all, just what we've just mentioned there, it's, it's who you are in this space that matters a whole lot more than what your colors are, or what your site looks like. You know what I mean? Um, so the, the, the the headline, the story, when I say headline, I mean like, okay, a great site to look at is socialtriggers.com. Just black text, you know, black Georgia 16-point font on a white background, absolutely nothing to it, right? What does he do? He has a headline there that and some bullet points right on the very homepage that he gets to, and what does he do next? Okay, that's the first one. Just figure out who you are. Number two, you don't have to nail it on the first try. Test it out. Okay. Think of every little piece of, of of your design as something to be tested, and start with that feature box headline, your homepage. Sort of, this is who I am. Subscribe here if you want to be a part of what we're doing. Right. So test things out because that takes the pressure off. All right. Number three, once you figure out who you are, and you've done some testing to figure out what message lands best, um, the the role of design is to don't fuck it up, basically. The role of design is you just you don't mess up the business direction and proposition of the site. You don't mess up the transition or the, the communication of value from you, the, the voice, to the reader on the other side. Yep. You know what I mean? Who, who's sitting there actually has this traumatic, this problematic, this, this thing in their life that they actually really want or they really want to get rid of or the, whatever the desire that your business actually angles straight at, Yep. right? They need to connect with what you've got. Yep. That and then that would be that would be the, maybe the the fourth the fourth part and, though. Yeah, and you know honestly, I feel like um, people could benefit. Like if you're going to do your own design, so this is the question: Do you do your own design? Do you use a theme? Do you work with a designer? Yeah. And a lot of co- times it comes down to time and money. And a lot of people can't afford to work with a designer. Yeah. So if you're not going to do that, then you're going to have to learn some things in order to do your own job well, yeah. unless you're just going to use an out-of-the-box theme. So if you're going to do your own job well, just take a little course on design, like at lynda.com or something, and learn typography, grids, colors, yeah. 
you know, and just or you could just look around at other sites, see what you like there, yeah. sketch up a thing that you that you like about it, and then then figure out how do I do this in WordPress, you know, or or whatever. That's how I learned. I, yeah. I wanted to do a thing for Write to Me in a long, long time ago, a very early site that I had, and I and that's when I I bought Thesis for the very first time because. They had a great support community. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and they answered all my questions. And from that, that's what started my whole... Like, I, I, w- I was never a, bl- a designer. Never, ever. It wasn't until like two months ago that I got comfortable calling myself a designer. And even still, like I feel like it's kind of limiting because I just design the things that I've written. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know? Um, but then... And then... Uh, uh, so I have two more tips. Um, one, uh, one... The second to last being use pictures of yourself if you can. Because if you have nothing on your site, when I land there and, it, and it's a big picture of you and you nail that freaking headline to where it's like, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're in our space where it's like, hey, everybody out there is going to try to try to sleaze you into being this kind of blogger. We do things differently. We make, you know, we help you make a business success. We help, we help you make your business successful, one that you actually care about or one that you're not sleazy, one you get to be honest in, whatever. That's the angle on uh, on a thing. That's how we're niching down some of our stuff, right? But so you you nail that desire with a picture next to you. As the again, the copy is what gets me. Whether it feels fresh or stale, whether it feels like it's hitting me or it's not. You know what I mean? That's what's going to land. Then the design just doesn't screw that copy up. Mm-hmm. And then finally, you know, kind of on point with that is if you don't. <laughs> If you don't have a, a great proposition, if you don't offer a, that much value, don't expect anything to save you. Yeah. Best headline in the design world won't save you if you're not yeah. solving someone's problem. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, so just remember that business is about making something that people want. So um, so I would say to, to our wonderful questionnaire, uh, those, I, I get, I get kind of ranty about the design stuff because people, a lot of people approach me with it and, uh, and I'm gr- very grateful. I don't want to sound ungrateful, but I'm not that good at it. I just, I just understand what I, what I started out was a, was a, was a selfish little kid who really wanted cool stuff. And I really resonated with brands like an Apple or a Nike or a thing that made, that, that, that it made me feel a thing, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I was sensitive to those feelings of like, I want to be that kind of guy early on. And that's what, that's the same exact thing that we're in now. It's about the copy. It's about the, 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 the feeling, uh, the vibe of your thing. Yeah. But you've obviously read a lot about design as well, because, you know, somebody who just looks at Apple and all these other sites and whatever, they might never hear the term line height or understand why it's so important. You yeah. Know what I yeah. Mean? So you do have to read a little bit about it too. Totally. And I, and I have read a lot and there are, yeah, I guess I, and I take that all for granted because, yeah. But but to be honest, most most of the stuff that I have ended up reading on design, it, it all it all just goes to serve the purpose of making me feel more comfortable with the fact that there isn't a right answer. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. So um, and that I, is comforting. I hope that answers the question, and and you know, please do leave follow up you know stuff in the comments at fizzleshow dot com. And so just to, to you know to summarize, you were saying simplify the choices, understand who you are and what you stand for, and then. What if he's willing to spend like the five hundred or a thousand dollars on design? What do you, what do you recommend then? If he's not willing to do it himself, or it's been piecemeal to this point, we've had nothing but bad experiences. To be honest, with just a handful of the web design, it's hard to find good designer and WP devs that 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 don't end up you know costing you money or or, or 
dragging things out, and it 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 really is a, a hard go of it right now for some reason. And to be honest, we're not we're not working with a lot of people. We're working with with just a handful, and it's just been you know, yeah, yeah. Well, I've 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 coached some people who have used designers that were in that five hundred to a thousand dollar range, and some of them have come out with decent results, much better yeah. than they could have done on their own. Yeah, because in order to learn, you know, you've find this second nature, like diving into WordPress, understanding PHP and CSS and HTML and all this stuff. A lot of people don't have the time or just the mental capacity for it. And um, it it can help to work with a designer, even if they're going to be slow and maybe not perfect or whatever. There are designers out there, and um, there are even sites like 99designs and stuff like that where you can get competitive bids. Um, You know, it's... It's it's a just a realistic question. Like, do I want to put in all this time and energy to learn how to do a good design, or should I work with someone? And for a lot of people, the yep. answer is going to be working with. And someone. I'll tell you what is not broken: that WordPress default twenty twelve whatever is that what it's called twenty twelve theme. Yeah, I don't know if there's a twenty thirteen or, or whatever like twenty twelve yeah. that with a custom header image of of you or uh, you know whatever something that makes it feel fresh and a good headline that isn't broken. Not at all. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was just going to say, find a responsive, good-looking, clean theme that's under $100. And I would totally... spend the rest of the money on a good logo. To be honest, I am, I am, you know, quote-unquote, one of the responsive guys, but I would, I would even take responsive off of that critical list. Yeah. Because what I... It, just whatever's easiest... What, the point that what matters more than anything else is just like what mattered most with Pat is you writing that freaking content every single week or whatever day whatever your goal is for and, writing that stuff and and let's put it this way caleb and i built this blog called expert enough and it's completely on an unrelated topic we threw up a woo themes on there yeah. that was like you know 50 bucks or something and we have forty thousand people a month coming to that site now yeah so the content is what matters the headline is the what content matters. really does matter the headline matters the design just don't screw it up um you know if and again I guess another little option to get out of the WordPress world is something that I've become a big fan of is um, Squarespace. Squarespace. You want to tell me about Squarespace? Yeah, I want to tell you about Squarespace. Um, <laughs> can when we can't really use that Fizzler discount outside of Fizzler. We should not. We shouldn't. No. If you're a Fizzler, there is a discount for Squarespace. Squarespace is uh, uh, it's like a WordPress, but like eighty nine, maybe ninety times easier. You it's just pretty easy. you just sign up there. It's and they have some really great looking themes. Really beautiful stuff. You, it's exactly what I would tell everybody who who's like, I'm not technical. I don't want to learn about WordPress yeah. or server or any of this other bull crap. I want to make something I care about. I want to write about X, Y, or Z. Like when my wife starts up this, this natural mama blog that we're going to start up, yeah. we'll probably do it on Squarespace. Right. Because it's just easy for her to jump on. It's got an iPhone and do all this other stuff. They're not paying for us to talk about them. But I don't want the design to be a barrier. Right and and guys, companies like that and Woo themes and DIY themes and all this other stuff. Even Tumblr can be easier. Absolutely, you know. You know it, it, and so there's some gorgeous themes. It's very easy to put stuff out there. Now the challenge is you don't want to look generic. You know, we're really talking a lot about this question, but I think it's something that a lot of people we hear a lot about this question. Yeah, you know. But the point being, listen, your design is important. It helps you feel trustworthy and fresh and interesting in a world full of noise. However. Do not be the kind of person that allows your design to hold you back. Don't think that you're not successful or you could be more successful if you had a better design. Uh, if you did like a social triggers type thing where it was black text on white background, like you, that's pretty damn good. Yeah. You know what I mean? So long as that headline, that, that the angle of the site, 
your mission in the in on the earth, like your your perspective and point of view, and the thing, the problem that you're leaning into solving, is an is something that people want. Is some, yep. you know, th- not that everybody wants. Is something that a you know, s- like we keep coming back to nerd fitness, a nerd who wants to be fit, right? Something that that person wants, yeah. Or you know, a mom who's pregnant and scared to death about labor. You know what I mean? Something that that person wants. Design is yet another multiplier. Design yeah. is a multiplier on the quality of your idea. And if your idea is worthless, your design's not going to fix that. And that is a foreshadowing of our uh, choosing and vetting your your business idea episode. There you go. Which will be airing probably next week. I think it's the, one of the first ones that we do. Is it? I think so. so you're, just so, you're the schedule okay. wrangler. Yeah. Uh, so you have that to look forward to. It's good. All right. Do we have another question, Corbett? Caleb, who are you? I'm sorry. Anyone? I feel like I'm any. <laughs> Wait, Jeffrey, 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 get over Jeffrey. Don't do that. <laughs> but dad, I'm Jesus Christ. No, that's funny. This question actually comes from Jeff. Really? So there you go. Oh, Jeffrey, I thought Jeffrey, you were going to say, Jeffrey, say it was from Bill Cosby. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's take a listen to this question from Jeff. Hey guys, it's Jeff from San Francisco. Love the blog. Uh, my question is about acknowledgement of competitors. In my day job in the media space, we tend to view the market is kind of a zero-sum thing where if I spend five minutes listening to your podcast, I can't be listening to any, anybody else's podcast, so we don't mention competition. But I noticed in the online marketing space, which you guys participate in, there's really much more of an acknowledgement in, in link sharing and uh, back and forth, and everybody talks about each other. And, and I'm just curious about uh, if that's generally uh, a good idea for pretty much any industry, or is that just kind of an exclusive to the internet marketing space online business thing? All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. So, I mean, you know, something that we talk about again in the choosing your topic, one of the criteria for me is always, do I want to be in this space um, with the competitors or are they a-holes that I don't want to deal with? You know what I mean? Um, So if you're in a space where you feel like you're afraid of your competitors and they feel like assholes, then um, maybe you're not in the right space to begin with. I I, um, have come around on this a lot in the past few years. Like my old idea of business was that competitors were people to keep a firewall between and, yeah. and to really try to wish them harm, mm-hmm. basically. And now I feel like there is no competition because everyone that I get to know in our space, um, you know, who I agree with, the way that they do business, that's an ally and a partner. Yeah. And, you know, and we all are looking for ways to differentiate our business, you know, or you should be. Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes maybe someone, a, a potential customer of ours, will just be better served by someone else. Yeah. And so if I talk about them and I really believe that they're doing something else in particular better than we're doing, yeah. then it's my job, if I really care about my customer and want to serve them, then it's my job to point them in the right direction of a good resource as opposed to trying to shoehorn them in to our solution, which might not be right for them. And then when you're online, the side benefit of that is that if the people that you refer your customers to hear yeah. about that and they they appreciate it, then they're likely to reciprocate and also talk about you. So the thing that we've seen is that everyone that we're friends with who you know you could consider a competitor yeah. actually sends us far more business than we lose by having that relationship. Sure. So to me it's there is no competition. And to be and and to be clear you're not sending links out to douchebags. You're not you're not, you're not we're not talking about uh, saying, "Oh, you should check out this person X over here who just wants to take advantage of you and take your money and doesn't have that great exactly. of a product." Exactly. And I don't think those are competitors. I think they're like that, yeah. people that aren't going to be around that long. To yeah. me, competitor true competitors are people that I think are worthy mm-hmm. of our customers and um and they kind of 
help us raise our game as well. You know? Yeah, and I think one of the things, one of the because I've been in companies where, like you mentioned, there's you know when you're when you're at a startup and it's like it's like a features battle between you and maybe two other vendors and you're all vying for enterprise companies Kickstarter and, versus Indiegogo yeah or something like that and it's like a it's a feature for feature pound for pound punch game over the next two and a half years yeah like that's that that's just very different we're not there you know I've been there um, and there's 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 real you know reasons not to share every little nook and cranny of your of your plan and your future there but for us right now like for instance you know we're in a very for us right now, one of the things that's been interesting for me is to learn that and believe that there are more that there is more than enough space in most industries. You know what I mean? So we are in a very packed industry in some ways. You know what I mean? Our what, what's our industry? Teaching people like blogging about blogging, the masturbatory yeah. Uh, yeah. perennial uh, sort of thing. But uh, you know, in some ways, blogging about blogging or. or uh, which is more, which is more where, where we're angling more towards. I think just naturally is like, how do you how do you make money doing something that you actually care about? You know what I mean? It's not just living your passion. It's it just not, happens to be on the internet. Yeah, it's not just blogging, but it's like, hey, I, you know, here there's more there's more chances to like make you know be the guy who cares more about underwater basket weaving than anybody else out there. If that's your thing, like here's here's how you could do it and potentially make a few bucks. Dream of dreams is you get to supplement your income doing this. You know what I mean? And pay for your kids' gluten free crackers based on underwater basket weaving education. Yeah, you know what I mean. But um, but in any space like that, there's going to be competitors, and yep. there's going to be some people who kind of rise up to the top, right? Yeah. And so, and and in most cases, if you look at the design world, if you look at the blogging world, if you look at the underwater basket weaving world, um. There's a group of people who are kind of at the top of their game, yeah. and they all know each other, and a lot of times they like each other, and they look out for one another. And so I would rather be part of that group yeah. and lift them all up, and hopefully they lift me up, as yeah. opposed to trying to you know put people down. Yeah, and to, because to, to and Caleb, I want you to jump in here for a second. Mm. But uh, you know we we've made good friends in this space, even though it's a crowded market. Like Pat Flynn, Eric Halpern, you know. Uh, Chris Gilbo, all these guys have become like people we care about and, and we have relationships with just because that happened very now. Na- I mean, I'm, I'm, it's all happening for me by proxy, by being, by being next to you. You know what I mean? Um, and I just naturally met you because we were just whatever in the right place at the right time to meet each other. But those all, those relationships happen very naturally. So it's kind of hard to see them as competition. Um, and, and like I said, there's just, there's plenty of room in this space, at least for that. And I think in most others, you know, and this is something that you'll hear podcasters talk a lot about is like, Hey, you, do you see these guys, uh, like Michael Wolf has this next market podcast that I just think is awesome about where's podcasting going and all this other stuff. And he interviews all these great people and every one of them mentions, you know, when he asks like, are there competitors or like, well, how do you look at this? He's like, no, it's just, these are people who got into podcasting because they cared about sharing this thing enough. And they could, they had access to the equipment or whatever, and it ended up just being this crew of generally kind, cool people. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's sort of like it might be a little precious at this point, and who knows if the shark comes, sharks come out like later. You know, I think as as it you know is reaching critical mass now, it's happening more and more. But I wouldn't. I always look at competition. I always study them from a design perspective and a copywriting perspective and like saying, huh, they're focusing an awful lot on X or on Y. Maybe we should do that. No, that doesn't really feel like us. We could go this way or that. You know what I mean? So some, yeah. sometimes, uh, you know, and we're all kind of building on each other that way. We all look at each other. Yeah. Um, so the, the, question, the original question, again, Caleb, was, is this a good idea to be sharing these 
this this love with others and in any is industry okay to be sharing in any industry. You know, and and I, so I think the ultimate answer is there's probably more room in your industry than you think for yeah share the love because to be honest when we share that love like it gets it makes it more enjoyable to be at a cocktail party with these guys. And here's another thing: if you're in an industry where people aren't sharing. Let that be a differentiator. Be the guy who yeah. unites people in your industry and is friendly yeah. and see how that works out. It'll probably work out really great. Yeah, I like And I think even just competition alone comes from compete, which is, you know, in a game sense, you have two teams that come in and one wins and mm. one loses and it's yeah. zero sum and all that sort of thing. But going back to what you just said, Corbett, um, use an example from Miracle on 34th Street where the Santa, <laughs> Chris Kringle, he works at Macy's and he's sending all their customers to Gimbel's and you know, Gimbel's is like, what is this guy doing? And so then they start doing the opposite and you guys are just laughing silently. I you love know? this. Keep going, keep this. going, keep going, keep going. But, but then everyone wants to go to Macy's cause they can find out where they get all the stuff they need for Christmas. Yep. There you, so go. there you go. Is that is that better or worse than an than an Indigo Girls example? <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. I love that. So is that a, is that a favorite movie, Caleb? No, it's just one I watch every Christmas because <laughs> I my love wife it. Does. God, I just learned something. It's fantastic. All right, well, this is a good time to call it. I have been Chase Wardman Reeves. I've been Corbett Barr. I've been Caleb Wojcik with the movie references. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much, Jeff and Dave, for your questions. Uh, thanks for all of you who have submitted questions so far. We love hearing from you, and we're going to do our darnest to answer all of them. So you can leave a question for us about your business right in your review in iTunes, and we'll go ahead and answer that on the air. And if you'd like, you can head to fizzleshow.com and record your own question there as well. You know, I know Corbett really well, but it was it was news to me to hear about him, you know, like shaking, having a little bit of a panic attack at the border in Arizona before he crossed over. And it just goes to show that, like, the journey of a thousand miles, you know, one starts with one step, all, all that stuff. But that these people that we put on on pedestals are, are just regular-ass humans, you know? He, they have to overcome some fear at one point or another, and typically, that's probably why we even know about them in the first place. Because they wanted to do a thing, and they overcame obstacles to do it. So here's the question. What's your... What's your equivalent dream that you're sort of not doing? For Corbett, it was going to Mexico with his wife. It changed his whole deal. It changed his complete, his whole perspective and outlook and direction in life. Is there something you could do or have wanted to do that just might cause a little panic at some border somewhere? But when you push through it, you end up on a much, you know, a, a significantly altered for the better path. I hope you find it. I hope you commit to doing it. Thanks again, guys, for all the reviews, for making us the number one uh, business podcast. So uh, it's so awesome just to hear you know from you guys. Like I said, we've been recording this stuff in a vacuum. And, and to finally get out in front of you, it really means the world to hear what you think about it. So leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, if you haven't, be sure to head to fizzleshow.com and enter your email to join the crew of entrepreneurs who want to do it gooder. We'll go ahead and send you our uh, our traffic toolkit for free when you do so. May uh, may your border freakouts be worth it. Thanks. Talk to you tomorrow when we uh, go to the next step in this three part series on getting to know your hosts a bit more. Talk to you. <laughs>